Well, it's a joy to be back home tonight. Thank the Lord uh, for the opportunity, and it's a privilege to be uh, back here at Bible. Good to be with our dear missionary brother. Thank you for stopping by. I'm looking forward to meeting you after uh, the service, and um, appreciate the uh, the privilege to stand uh, here and preach the Word of God this evening. Thank God for the opportunity, and just a joy uh, to be back, and um, the Lord allowed us to be uh, here yesterday, uh, last Sunday morning, and uh, then we were down outside of Atlanta, and we've been seeing the Lord just do some special things. Things, and so we give him the glory for that. Uh, Lord, helping us, we'll be heading up to Indiana um, on Friday and uh, meeting up with Brother Chris and helping in that gospel outreach up there. And there's uh, also a, a large Jewish community in the uh, greater Indianapolis area. And uh, those pastors up there have, have really uh, carried a burden uh, for that Jewish um, area, that Jewish population. And so if you would please pray with us over these next several weeks that God uh, would help us, give us the wisdom and the strength and that he would open doors. Uh, that only he can and um, it's a privilege though and a joy just to have a little part in the work of God and it's uh, it's an honor it really is and I don't ever want to take that for granted let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight and ask God uh, for his guidance uh, in uh, the text that we take and uh, ask the Lord for his blessing uh, on this part of the service thank the Lord for the good singing Father Lord I do thank you God for the privilege to be here tonight and Lord I thank you for the joy Lord of being among your people Lord I thank you Father for dying on the cross of Calvary, Lord, for such a wretched sinner uh, such as I am. Lord, I truly don't deserve, uh, God, the least of your tender mercies. But Lord, I want to tell you, I, I love you this evening. Lord, I appreciate you. And Lord, I want to thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Lord, I want to thank you, God, for your mercy and your long-suffering. And Lord, I don't deserve, dear Father, uh, God, to even stand here, Lord, let alone, oh God, to preach. Oh God, I sure do thank you, Lord, for being so good to me. Father, I pray, God, you'd guide our steps in your word this evening. And Father, I pray that uh, everything that's said and done tonight, Lord, would glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that, uh, Lord, your people, Lord, would... Uh, Lord, receive encouragement. Lord, if there's someone here that's never been born again, Father, I pray that you would draw them, uh, Lord, with cords of love, Lord, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray, Lord, most of all, that we would give you the praise and the honor, Lord, that you are so worthy of. And so, Father, uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I tell you, um, this text has been taken... The Lord's given opportunity to preach even here uh, from this passage of Scripture uh, several times. But uh, it's what's on my heart this evening. I want to follow uh, the leadership of, of the Holy Spirit to the best of my ability if God will help us. And so I'd like you to turn uh, to the book of Isaiah tonight. The book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And um, I love this portion of Scripture. I love uh, this passage uh, in the Word of God. And I, I, I don't ever, I don't ever want it to get old to me personally. And I, I believe you folks feel the same way. And God help us to never forget Calvary. God help us to never forget uh, what our Savior did on the cross. And you know, in speaking with Jewish folks, uh, and that being the burden on our heart, that being the calling uh, that God has placed on our life, it's amazing how a lot of times uh, when you are speaking to lost folks, regardless of their religious background, but when you speak to lost people that 
are religious, uh, whether that might be uh, a Mormon, uh, whether that might be a so-called Jehovah Witness or a Catholic, and the list can just go on and on, or someone involved in Judaism. Uh, as, as you have a conversation about the Word of God and some of the false teachings that they've been ingrained in um, and that you really have just created so many barriers in their understanding of, of the truth of God's Word, it's amazing how uh, religious lost folks love to get off on secondary arguments and um, especially especially folks that are really I mean just just entrenched in whatever false doctrine it is and you you have a JW come by and and you know they'll be knocking on your door and and uh, wanting to uh, speak to you about the watchtower and wanting to speak to you about uh, you know all of those things associated with that and um, it, it doesn't take long at all and you'll be talking about the 144,000 when you really need to be talking about what does it take for someone to get to heaven and um, you same thing, have a conversation uh, with a Mormon. And, uh, and you'll be talking uh, about, you know, the Latter-day Saints and, and all of these other planets and all of these other things and how to become, how they, you know, teach that one day you'll become a God and all of these blasphemous false doctrines. And what you really need to be doing is talking about how you get to heaven. How do you find peace with God? How is your sin paid for? And, and the same thing with Catholicism. You'll be going through the catechism when you really need uh, to be asking the question, who is Jesus? Christ? Is He the payment for your sin? Is He the only way to heaven? Is, is there really only one mediator between God and man? Is it Mary or is it Jesus? How do you get to heaven? How do you find peace with God? And, and it's, the, it's the same thing uh, with Jewish folks and especially those that um, uh, practice Orthodox Judaism. Uh, Reformed Judaism and, and the more liberal avenues of, of the Jewish uh, religion are, are not very... Um, taught or learned when it comes to the scriptures. They, they know a little bit here and there, uh, but when you ask them a basic Bible question, most of the time uh, they don't even, a lot of times they don't even know what you're talking about, even in the Old Testament. Now with your Orthodox uh, fellas and, and the, the folks in Orthodox Judaism, the families that are involved in uh, the more observant side of things, uh, they do study the scriptures. They don't study it as much as they should. They study the rabbis uh, far more than the scriptures, but they, they are very uh, accustomed to the Word of God. And, and when you begin to speak and try to present the gospel uh, to a Jewish person, a religious Jew, uh, a lot of times they want to get you off on secondary arguments just like everyone else does. And before you know it, you'll be talking about this rabbi and this rabbi and what this fellow said about what this fellow said. And, and uh, it, it was amazing. Several years ago, we were out there in North Dakota and a very religious Jewish lady that God gave the opportunity. And we shared some of that with you folks back uh, uh, two or three years ago, whenever that was. And, um, but it, it was amazing the more that we would uh, talk about the Word of God and talk about the Scripture and, and talk about um, the, the possibilities of Jesus Christ being the Messiah. It was always, she was always wanting to get off on this argument and that argument. And, and uh, I called my dad. We'd been talking with this dear lady for several days. And I called my dad and I said, Dad, I, I need help. I said, I just, I'm, try, I'm not getting anywhere with this lady. And he said, pretty much, he said, well, son, he said, there ain't no way you can get anywhere with her. He said, you need God's touch. He said, Samuel, he said, listen, he said, he said, I know you've talked about Daniel chapter 9, and I know you've talked about Psalms 22, and I know you've talked about uh, this scripture and what this rabbi said about it. And he said, but listen, he said, you just need to go back to Isaiah chapter 53. And he said, don't leave. He said, if she wants to leave, he said, just go, he said, answer her question and go right back to the word of God and go back to that 53rd chapter of Isaiah. And I prayed about it for a little bit, and boy, God just burned that into my heart. And that last 
last conversation that we had, um, she wanted to get right back into arguing. And I, I said, Miss Levinson, I said, could I ask you a favor? I said, would you let me read you a chapter out of the book of Isaiah? I said, before we talk any more today, I said, before we really get into our conversation, could I, could I just read to you a chapter, all the verses in this chapter, there's only 12 verses, and I said, could I just read you uh, the 12 verses of this chapter in Isaiah, and, um, and then we can kind of begin our conversation out of this chapter. And she said, well, she said, yeah, if it's out of the Holy Scripture, she said out of the uh, prophet Isaiah, she said, that's fine. And uh, she was quiet, and it was the first time, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but this was the first time in the past several days of us talking together that Miss Levinson was quiet for 10 minutes and she, but she stood she was respectful and she stood there as, as, and however it was and listened to the word of God being read and, um, and God gave great great help to read uh, through this passage of scripture and as, as soon as we finished verse 12 boy she went in to get I mean started right in with some of those other things she was wanting to argue about and I said Miss Levison I said could, could, could I just borrow your attention for a minute I said we just finished reading this passage of scripture could, could we start back in verse 1. So I got a question I want to ask you about verse 1 here in Isaiah chapter 53. And so as we started going through these scriptures, um, just begin trying to work through and, and ask her, and you know, we got there to verse 1 and, and asked her a question to verse 1, made it there to verse 2, and um, asked her a question to verse 2. But, but by the time we made it to verse 3, he is despised. Look at it in your Bibles tonight. He is despised. And rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He is acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. The Lord helped me that afternoon. I said, Miss Levison, I said, um, who was acquainted with grief in this chapter? Uh, if you can answer that question, who was despised? And we esteemed him not. And she began to tell me that, you know, she wasn't, 100% sure. Rabbinical writers very much like to take this when you ask them to commentate on this chapter from a rabbi standpoint. They, they come away with two conclusions and they're, and they're both very faulty. But first off, they'll, they'll say, well, this chapter is talking about the sufferings of Isaiah. But as we look through this third verse here, it, it's very clear that God is using Isaiah under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost as the penman of this chapter. Grammatically there's no way Isaiah is talking about himself. For he's talking about another individual. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and now Isaiah puts himself in the midst of whoever these other folks are and he says we hid as it were our faces from him and we esteemed him not. And that led right up to the other argument. Uh, many rabbis try to say, well, this is not talking about the sufferings of Isaiah. This is talking about the sufferings of Israel. This chapter is talking about Israel's sufferings. But, of course, obviously there's, there's no way that that could uh, be the, the case either. 
for the we here has to be the audience that Isaiah is speaking to. And we all know that this is taking place in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Isaiah is speaking to the nation of Israel. And Miss Levinson didn't want to speak about verse 3 very long. She was unable to answer the question about who is this that is acquainted with grief. If it's not Isaiah, if it's not Israel, well, who is it? Who is this that's despised and we esteemed him not? And so I said, well, I said, could we just jump down to verse 4 then? I said, why don't we just jump down to verse 4? I said, I've got a couple questions I'd like to ask you out of verse 4 too. And so uh, what ended up happening during that conversation, God let it last almost an hour, and we would look at verse 4, and then we'd go down and look at verse 5, and we'd look at verse 6, and we'd look at verse 7, and every time uh, she'd get a little bit more heated and a little more upset and a little more angry, and finally she said, I don't want to talk to you anymore about this book. I said, oh my. I said to Miss Levinson, I said, you understand that this is, this is God's word. I said, you understand that this is, this is your prophet speaking to our people. And I said, you understand that one day you're, you will give an account to God Almighty about the way you have received or rejected the words of God. And she said, I don't care. She said, I don't want to talk about this book anymore. And I tell you what happens when, when, when sinners are confronted with the truth. Now, it's easy to come up with a bunch of arguments, but dear friend, when they're, con- when they're confronted with the truth, God has made it so very clear that His Word is quick and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the dividing the sunder of soul and spirit. And it's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Faith cometh by hearing. We're told in Romans chapter 10. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And dear friend, I'm glad that when we take God's eternal word and begin to present it with a broken heart and a burdened heart, God can do, dear friend, what you and I could never do in our intellectual reasoning. God's word can stand on its own, can stand by itself, and can do a work, dear friend, in the heart of a lost sinner on their way to hell. God help us tonight to remember that the power is in the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now that day Miss Levison walked away from that conversation. That dear Jewish lady walked away and and she was the one who, who hung up the phone. She was the one who ended the conversation. She was the one who said, no, I don't want to hear anymore. Uh, but it does not mean that the Word of God did not have an effect. It does not mean that. Oh, dear friend, there's been many times when, when I lost... There may be some, uh, some of you here that the first time you heard the Word of God, you walked away and ripped up the gospel track or turned the radio station off or walked out of the back doors of the church with anger in your heart and a determination to never come back. But dear friend, God made a promise in Isaiah chapter 55. He said, my words shall not return unto me void. He said, but it shall accomplish that which I set forth for it to do. And dear friend, God's word can continue a work even when it seems like there's no hope. 
That's the group of people that Isaiah is prophesying to. Isaiah was sent and ordained by God uh, to go and to preach to a stiff neck and a rebellious people. He was ordained by God and likewise many of the prophets of his day were were ordained by God uh, to go and to preach a message to a group of people who did not want to hear the word that God had given them. They wanted nothing to do with the message that God had ordained them to preach. You see Isaiah starting this chapter out in verse 1. He's with really the burden prayer. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Who's believed our report? Who's listened to us? Who's paid any attention? You see Isaiah almost in an area of discouragement and despondency. Who hath believed our report? We know Jeremiah found his way there and many of the other men of God in our, in our Bible found their place in the ministry where they said, Lord, no one's listening to us. No, no one even cares. And, and no one wants to hear what we have to say. God, we try. Lord, we, we try to knock on the doors. We try to talk to them. We try to preach to them. We try to witness to them. And, and Lord, no one really, I mean, they're not even paying us attention, let alone even listening to us. They're not, they don't even care. Isaiah found himself in that same place. Now there were times in Isaiah's ministry where he did see some fruit. But Isaiah here, especially in the latter days of his ministry, the prophet was ridiculed and, and maligned and persecuted. And I sure am glad that Isaiah didn't put the pen down in discouragement before he got to Isaiah. 53. And we know the Word of God settled in heaven. And we know that before the foundations of the world were ever laid, that, that God's Word was settled in heaven and God would have used somebody else if Isaiah would have given up. But I'm just, I want to just borrow your thought for, for a minute. What if Isaiah would have just thrown in the towel and said, you know what, I'm, I'm done. There ain't nobody listening. Ain't nobody caring what I have to say. I'm done. I, I made it to the 52nd chapter under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. But these people don't care. A stiff-necked and rebellious nation. I'm done. I'm just walking away. I'm hanging it up. and We would have missed the greatest messianic prophecy foretelling the sufferings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. Isaiah, um, he was called upon by God to finish out his ministry uh, in, in, in a place where the ground seemed a lot drier than it was whenever he started. And he was called of God uh, to finish out his ministry uh, under persecution where he may have enjoyed some of the blessings of God in the earlier part of his ministry. But dear friend, I tell you, Isaiah may have not seen a lot of results on this side. But I'm yet to meet a Jewish person who's come to realize Jesus Christ is their Messiah where God did not use this book and especially this chapter and the conversion of that dear Jewish soul. And dear friend, Isaiah may have, he may have finished his course with a lot of, with a lot of trial and a lot of uh, trouble, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of people one day in heaven are going to hug his neck and say, thank you preacher. For preaching another message. 
Thank you, preacher, for going out on the streets of Israel one more day and telling another group of people one more time about the good saving grace of God. Because although you didn't see any results of it, even though you didn't see anything that would have encouraged your heart as a result of your preaching in those latter days, God inspired His Word through you. And God preserved the Word that you were faithful to preach. And you get to enjoy the blessings of your labor even though you're passed off the scene. And dear friend, there's still people being saved, individuals and lost folks from every religion under heaven being saved this evening because a man of God was faithful to keep on preaching, go back again and fulfill the Word of God and to stand with the message of God and do what God had ordained him to do. Who have believed our report? I'd like to say this evening, I'm glad Isaiah didn't quit. I'm glad Isaiah didn't quit. I'm glad he didn't give up. I'm glad he continued on by God's grace. And he goes on in this chapter. And we're familiar with this precious passage of the Word of God. But he goes on in this chapter to not only tell us that this righteous servant, he's going to be despised and rejected of men. He's going to be acquainted with grief. And he said, we hid as it were our faces from him. Verse 4, he said, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. You see, uh, Isaiah is still referring to himself along with the group of people that he's preaching to. I tell you what I find amazing in this chapter. Over 22 times you find God using Isaiah to preach about and use the words he and his and him. Can I say tonight it's all about him? It's all about the Lord Jesus? Isaiah never got off track in this message. It was all about Christ. It not, not a bit of it was about Isaiah. Isaiah goes ahead and you can tell he's discouraged. He's wondering who's, who's listening to his message. But he goes right into preaching about Jesus. And dear friend, there's sometimes you may go wrong, but I tell you, you ain't never going to go wrong telling somebody and preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely he hath borne our griefs. We see Isaiah includes himself in this group because Isaiah realizes that this individual, he not only is going to be bearing Israel's grief, but he's going to be bearing Isaiah's grief. Not only is he going to be bearing Israel's sins, but he's going to be bearing Isaiah's sins as well. Oh, can you see the man of God as he's looking forward to a wonderful time when there is going to be, dear friend, the event in history that will mark all other biblical events when this righteous servant will bear his iniquity and be wounded for his transgressions. You see, Isaiah goes on to say, all we like sheep have gone astray. I tell you, that's a, powerful, that's a powerful statement when you realize that the man of God is including himself and recognizing even his own sinful condition, saying, all we like sheep have gone astray. You better be careful about a religion or a religious system or teaching that wants to magnify man to a place where you think that they could do no wrong or that they could reach some type of sinless perfection or they could reach some status to where they stop sinning against God. Dear friend, if Isaiah the man of God had to agree and count himself in the number and say, all we like sheep have gone astray, you better mark it down. It don't matter how many baptismal certificates you have. 
It don't matter how much many years of church membership you may have. It don't matter how many preachers you may, uh, there may be in your family history. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed in verse 7, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Can you see our Savior tonight standing before Pontius Pilate, accused of many things of the Jews, the high priest, bringing many false accusations against him. And God said, neither so did their witness agree, but yet they still railed against him. And yet, can you see our Savior standing there and never uttering a word to the point where Pilate, in disbelief, says, what, answerest thou nothing? Knowest thou not that I have power to deliver thee? And Christ looked at Pilate at that point, and he said, thou could have had no power at all except it were given thee from above. But can you see our Savior standing before the governor in the midst of all the accusations? And God said, He's brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Can you see our Savior as they take him from Pilate's judgment hall? He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. And for the transgressions of my people was he stricken. Can you see in verse 9 as they come to beg the body of the Lord Jesus after those hours of suffering and torment on the cross. Can you see old Nicodemus making his way over there following Joseph of Arimathea? They came there to Pilate to beg the body of Christ and Pilate wondered that the Lord Jesus was, was dead already and found that he had already given up the ghost. Can you see our Savior? Verse 9, the Word of God tells us, and he made his grave with the wicked. Can you see him hanging between those two thieves? But not only with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because here's why, he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Oh my. Isaiah a couple chapters before when he saw God high and lifted up. He had to say, woe is me. He said, for I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. But whoever this that Isaiah is speaking about, we know who it is. No deceit in his mouth. No violence found in him. But look what the word of God tells us in verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Oh my. That God the Father was pleased. That he was Pleased that he was satisfied, that he took pleasure in the suffering 
and the death and the crucifixion of His own Son. Dear friend, we, we can't understand that kind of love. John the Beloved put it this way, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are ye the sons of God. And the only reason why we can enjoy the privileges of sonship is because God in His holiness and in His wrath turned His back on His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ the righteous. He did no sin, no guile in His mouth. But God turned His back on Him, poured His wrath out on the Lord Jesus Christ so that you and I could be saved. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Just a few hours before this took place in our Savior's life, the Lord Jesus sat down and A lot of times we refer to it as the Last Supper there with the disciples where that upper room had been prepared. And... But sometimes it's easy to forget that Christ was partaking of the Passover. That Last Supper was that meal of the Passover. Passover cannot be celebrated according to the Word of God without the shedding of the blood of an innocent lamb. That lamb had to be without blemish. It had to be without spot. There, there, could be no, there could be no blemish on it in any way. And the head of the house would have to inspect that lamb. and Make sure that it met all the qualifications. But after he had inspected that lamb, he would take one, just as sharp of a knife as he could and he would slit that throat and the blood of that animal who had done no wrong would begin to flow. and You could not partake of the Passover without the shedding of blood. There, there just was no way. As that lamb was shed and as they ate the Passover, everything about that Passover meal was pointing forward to what God would do one day on Calvary. They'd take... That unleavened bread, they'd break it in half, showing the, the brokenness, how that our Savior's body would be broken for our sin. Jesus did say, I am the bread of life. But yet during that Passover time, the bread is broken. They would, they would take that pure, unfermented fruit of the vine, that grape juice, and they would drink that in you can see our Savior as He explains to the disciples what this really means. He said, he said, this is my blood of the New Testament. He said, this is my body, this bread that we're breaking. I know you broke it all of your life without truly understanding what it's all about. But this, this bread, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. 
The disciples had a little bit of a hard time catching on to exactly what Christ was, was saying as he told them time after time that he must needs go up to Jerusalem and, and how that he would be betrayed before the chief priests and, and how he would be put to death and rise again the third day. But dear friend, just a few hours before Calvary, just a few hours before this suffering that we're reading about this evening, Christ made it so clear to the disciples as he explained to them. Not only am I eating this last supper with you, not only am I partaking of this Passover, not only am I partaking of it, but I'm about ready to fulfill this Passover as well. I am the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In Psalms chapter 18, in Psalms chapter 118 rather, there as the disciples would have left that upper room. We know according to the scripture that the word of God tells us that they, that they sung a hymn, they, they sung a song as, as they went out there into the Mount of Olives. And according to Jewish tradition, and it's still done even today, as they finished the Passover meal and and they exit the place where they've been assembling together. They will still sing Psalms 118. As they went out that day, best we can tell, this is the psalm that they would have sung. And we won't take the time tonight to go through and read all of it, but based on the Word of God and, and based off of what we know about the traditions they still keep today, as they went out there to the Mount of Olives, the disciples in Christ leading them would have been singing these verses. And look here in verse 20. The gate of the Lord unto which the righteous shall enter. Verse 21, I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. He said the stone which the builders refused is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. They would have sung this psalm as they went out there. Dear friend, a short time later, the Lord Jesus Christ would have literally been rejected by the builders of the religion of Judaism. The stone which the builders refused. And they did. They refused Him in their secret trial, their mock trial. They refused Him before Pilate. They refused Him and mocked Him before Herod. They refused Him, dear friend, of the years of His earthly ministry. The stone which the builders refused. Oh my, can you see those builders as they mock their own Calvary? They laughed at him. They said, this man saved others. Himself he cannot save. Let him come down now if he be the Son of God. Let him come down now if he be the King of Israel. If he'll come down off the cross right now, we'll believe him. Can you see them builders as they begin to mock? I mean, why should they do anything differently? They mocked his entire ministry. Tried to trip him up every time they could. But look what it says down here in verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. 
This is the Lord's doing. God is allowing this and ordaining this to happen. Oh yeah, the chief priests think they've, they've pulled off a political feat. Falsely accuse someone of the authority and get someone killed that they couldn't kill themselves. But dear friend, no, this is the Lord's doing. Back in Isaiah 53, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, verse 11, and shall be satisfied. But I tell you what I love, the end of verse 11, by his knowledge, by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. Here's why. For he shall bear their iniquities. And I tell you what's amazing, dear friend, this evening. Yes, the builders rejected him. Psalms 118. The stone which the builders refused, and they did. But look what happened. God said, is become, this very stone, is become the headstone of the corner. Now you see, in Psalms 118, God's referring to the building of the temple. Building processes of those days. There would always be a cornerstone. There would always be a headstone. There would always be a a stone that would set the building process in motion for that building to be completed. Everything else would be measured off of that one stone, that cornerstone. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ, He is that stone that's rejected and refused by those builders. As you go back and begin to look at all of these false religions, the reason why they're so confused and so full of darkness. Oh, I mean, they may have a great building. I mean, you go down there to Utah, my, my, my. Some of the biggest so-called church buildings. You ever see those Mormon buildings? The problem is, though, they're missing a very important piece. Go by a synagogue, I mean, multi Million dollar buildings. They're missing an integral part of their foundation. Same thing with the JWs and the Catholics and everyone else. I mean, they may have magnificent structures, but there's there's a big problem. The problem is simply this. The reason why they can offer no peace, the reason why they offer no hope, the reason, dear friend, why they offer no light is because they're missing the cornerstone. And we know that other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. And dear friend, the the born again church of God, those of us that are saved by grace, we're not built on the teaching of some man or, or the instructional pamphlet of some organization, but we're built on Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And you see, the problem with Judaism is simply this. They rejected the chief stone. They rejected, dear friend, the main principle. And all of the building that the builders can and will try to do is built on a shaky foundation tonight because it's not built on the Lord Jesus Christ. But Not only in, in Psalms 118 do we see 
the rejection of, of religious leaders. Stone which the builders rejected. But I'll tell you, dear friend, we see the triumphant resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, they rejected Him. But He is become the chief's cornerstone. They said, no, we're not interested in Him. We can go ahead and build on without Him. Oh, but dear friend, three days later, they thought they put Him in the grave. Oh, they thought they had sealed the tomb. They thought they had locked it up real good. They thought that, you know what, we've gotten rid of this man. We've gotten rid of this teaching. we got a guard and a pilot's given us the, the soldiers there to stand watch. But dear friend, three days later, this is the Lord's doing, remember. It was the Lord's doing that he willingly allowed his son to suffer those chastisements that you and I deserved. But it also was the Lord's doing. He rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that is why tonight we can rest on this wonderful promise by his knowledge. If Christ would have simply died, Brother Black, if he would have just simply died, there wouldn't have been anything left to write or read about. But dear friend, he rose again the third day triumphantly as the headstone of the corner. Dear friend, and there is coming a day when the kingdoms of this world are going to become the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. And you know what? The Lord Jesus today, He is not the chief cornerstone of Judaism. He's not the chief cornerstone of the nation of Israel. But there's coming a day when He's going to be. Oh, dear friend, listen, the nations of the world today and the governments of mankind, they do not recognize the authority of Jesus Christ, the righteous. But there is coming a day when they will. I'm telling you, I'm glad this afternoon. I don't have to wait till that point in time in history. Oh, I'm glad that my hope tonight is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Oh, the way the songwriter said it, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy lean on Jesus. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And this evening we have a firm foundation. Christ Jesus the Lord, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, took our oppression that we deserve, took our affliction, bore it upon Himself. God saw that travail and God was satisfied. By His, by his knowledge shall my righteous Servant, justify many. You read down in verse 12, there's coming a day when God said, He shall divide the portion with the great. He shall divide the spoil with the strong because He hath poured out His soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors. He bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. I'm glad it ends with just a little bit of a preview of that day when God is going to divide the spoil. When God is coming back. The Lord Jesus is going to rule and reign. Oh, what a wonderful, joyous day that's going to be. And Christ is seated there in Jerusalem. And that day, God's going to build that millennial temple. And the Lord Jesus Christ will be seated. Think about that. He's going to be seated in that temple, ruling and reigning with a rod of iron. And dear friend, in that day, 
our Savior will truly be, brother. He's really going to be in that day. Right now, he's our chief cornerstone, but in that day, he will be the chief cornerstone seated in Jerusalem. And dear friend, it's all because 2,000 years ago, he humbled himself, bore our iniquities, and was wounded for our transgressions. He didn't have to, but he chose to. He said, I have power to lay my life down. And he said, I have power to take it up again. Dear friend, there ain't, there ain't one religious leader could ever speak words like the words of our Savior and fulfill those same words. You may be here tonight as the piano begins to play softly. You may be here this evening. And your foundation, regardless of the title, built on shaky ground. You may have a form of godliness, but every time there's turmoil in the world, there's no peace in your heart, no joy of God in your life. I tell you, dear friend, I check up this evening and make sure that my foundation, that my hope, that my life was anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd make sure this evening. There's a lot of folks trusting in a lot of things. The problem is they've never come to a place where they said, you know, Jesus Christ, the righteous, He's enough. He paid the sin debt. He's my Savior. He's accomplished everything necessary for my salvation. And dear friend, if you're here this evening and you're trusting in something you've done, something you've said, something you felt, I challenge you not trust Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. He is the chief cornerstone. He is the foundation. Christ speaking there to an audience of the same religious crowd in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 7. He, he said, Whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. He said, I'll show you to whom he is like. He's like a man. Built on a firm foundation. Built his house upon a rock. Rain descended, floods came, winds blew. Beat upon that house. And God said it fell not. The reason it didn't fall was because it was built upon a rock. Dear friend... Another person, next verse, end of that chapter. God said, Whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, like a man which took and built a house upon the sand. The same rain came, winds blew. The word of God tells us that house, it fell and great and great was the fall of it. And though, I mean, they may have built their houses exactly the same. They may have looked the same from the outside. The only difference is one of them was on the rock. The other was on the sand. Oh, I hope tonight that everyone in our audience has laid hold upon that anchor of the soul, Jesus Christ. Oh, I hope you're not trusting in something you've done. I hope you're trusting in the finished work of Calvary. Brother Brian, come and close the service out as God leads you, brother.